we're closing out this week with a little cover story on Kathleen Carrico, who basically invented the mRNA process that is in every single vaccine today. But it took a journey of 30 years to develop, which more or less overlaps with the Ginkgo Bioworks timeline that we had yesterday. Gina, tell me about this scientist that you have been reporting on. Well, you know, she is one of the rare people who not only had a really interesting, great idea, which sounded out of the realm of possibility, but never gave up. My name is Kotalin Koriku. I am a biochemist. Her name is Kotalin Koriko, but she goes by Katie. And once I started to talk to her, I wanted to hear more and more and more. So could you start by telling me where you grew up? I grew up in a small Hungarian town called Kishwisalash. There are 10,000 people lives there. And uh, She grew up in a little town in Hungary, in communist Hungary. I grew up in a, a very simple household. We had a adobe house with a reed roof. And we didn't have running waters, we didn't have refrigerator or television, but I didn't know that we don't have this because none of our neighbor had one, so everybody was the same. And, um, and Her uh, father was a butcher and her mother was a bookkeeper, but she was always interested in science. So what, what, I, what made you think about science? You know, did you have a teacher? Was there anything in particular that made you think of science? Uh, when when I was a child, my father was a butcher and I was always uh, seeing how he cut up the pig and uh, I was watching. Meanwhile, my sister, older sister, run in the house and she didn't want to see any part of it. So, <laughs> And <laughs> of course, when I was a, a student, you know, I had a wonderful teachers and as a result of it, actually on eighth grade, I was the third in the country in biology. Uh, there was wow. a petition, so I, I knew that I would be a biologist. And you had and so to... Katie goes on to study biology in college, and then she goes to graduate school. And while she's in grad school, she learns about something that really grabs her attention, a molecule that scientists had just recently discovered. Mm-hmm. That molecule was called messenger RNA. And the reason they called it the messenger was it was the messenger between the DNA in cells, which has all the instructions, like a blueprint, and the rest of the cell, which has to do something with that blueprint. So there's this little messenger that goes from the DNA and says, here are the instructions, and then it disappears. And what exactly was so interesting to her about this little messenger molecule? Well, the fact that this molecule told cells what to do made Katie think that mRNA, messenger RNA, held infinite potential. And so what fascinated her was that if she could get her hands on the messenger, she could give the cells a new set of instructions to do what she wanted them to do. She could change the message. And, uh, you know, I was like uh, 21, two years old, and I said, oh, my God, that's so great. And in her mind, if she could potentially change the message... What could happen? If you could change the message, you could tell a cell to make anything you wanted. Let's say you wanted a cell to make insulin for somebody with diabetes. You could give it a message saying, make insulin. Mm. And it would, briefly, not forever. But you will make some insulin. So if you could change the message, 
you would be in control of the cell in a way nobody had ever done before. And how realistic is that line of thinking? Well, this is the late 1970s. And at the time, it was like a joke. Hmm. In fact, while she was working on her PhD, she worked in a lab in Hungary trying to research mRNA. But the thing is, scientists didn't know how to make it. They didn't know how to make the actual message. When the first day I came to the lab, I learned, you know, different things about messenger RNA, but I couldn't make messenger RNA because there were no tools for that. I mean, And even if you could figure out a way to make it and get it into a cell, scientists didn't think it could survive long enough inside the cell to do anything. Nobel Prize winner who get for RNA acknowledges that he never thought that RNA would be ever a medicine. So just as Katie got kind of possessed by this idea of using messenger RNA, Mm -hmm. her lab ran out of money. And this was my dream place, this uh, research center. And then uh, I was so happy in Hungary and uh, we lost uh, financial support and I lost my job. And this was my dream. He looked around and there really was nothing for her in Hungary. So she made this very difficult, momentous decision that she had to leave the country if she was going to pursue her idea Mm. and stay as a scientist. I felt that it is so, so important. I always felt whatever I was doing, it is so important. And, and, you know, people's life will depend on that I have to do it. And when I started... She went to the United States to become a scientist there. Her husband and her two-year-old daughter were going to come with her. And, um, of course, I was shocked when I was just thinking about that oh my God, you know, I have to buy food for dollars and I will be in America. Oh my, and we didn't have credit cards. We didn't have telephone, iPhone. There is no, you know, we are in 1985. At that time uh, in Hungary, uh, there's only so much money you could take out of the country. So if they wanted to get to the United States and have any money at all, they had to smuggle it. So we sold the car and we get 900 pounds for it. And I put into my daughter's little teddy bear and we gave it to her and kept our, our eye on, <laughs> eyes on her and the bear. And anyway, so we arrived there lucky to Philadelphia and uh, the next day I, I went to work. <laughs> they land in the United States and she ends up in Philadelphia at a low-level postdoctoral position. I started my salary was 17000 at... Um, yeah, we didn't starve. We had food. And uh, and not long after that, she got a low-level job at the University of Pennsylvania. There, she wanted to pursue her idea of messenger RNA. And how does that go? Well, remember, back in Hungary, she couldn't even make messenger RNA. But by this point, the science had advanced enough that she and other scientists could, in fact, make mRNA. And so Katie's idea was, let's make the mRNA, put it into a cell, and see if we can instruct the cell to make something it never would have made before. Mm -hmm. So Katie and the senior scientists had experiments set up. And if they worked, they would know because they had a machine called a gamma counter that would detect whether the protein that they wanted the cells to make was there. So they were standing in this little tiny room hovering over this machine. We were standing there in front of the gamma counter that we tried to see what was the result. Is it functional? And And the data started pouring out. 
Oh my God, yes, it was functional. They did it. And we were like elated there. They had made a cell, produced something it would never have made normally. Hmm. When you learned this about the mRNA, did you celebrate? What did you do? Did you just say, oh, wow, it worked? Or did you say, oh, let's break open the champagne? I have to tell you that I have never kept a champagne bottle in my refrigerator. <laughs> I know scientists who did. I, 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 I did not. And what does this breakthrough mean to her? What is now going to be possible that perhaps wasn't before? It tells her that her dream, that she could have a cell produce anything she wanted, a drug, anything, was now within reach. Hmm. Oh my God, I felt immediately that it's very important that I felt like I can do anything. It will be good for somebody, something. And so this eventually becomes what we refer to as the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine, the vaccine that so many of us, myself included, have received. Yes, absolutely. It was based on the mRNA technology, and without it, it couldn't have existed. And at the same time, another company, Moderna, also made an mRNA vaccine. Mm -hmm. The two vaccines are extremely similar, and they are amazingly effective. I remember in the beginning when they said, if we could have a vaccine that was like 60% effective, boy, that would be amazing. And all of a sudden, here's a vaccine that's more than 90% effective. This is like, success beyond people's wildest hopes. How quickly does Dr. Cargo get to take this vaccine that she herself has played such a pivotal role in developing? The first people to get it were medical research workers and medical personnel like doctors and nurses. That was in December. And both she and her colleague, Drew Weissman, actually got vaccinated with the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine back at the University of Pennsylvania, hmm. the place she'd spent so many years trying and trying to advance her research. And how did you feel getting a vaccine that your own research helped make possible? Yes, I've, we were sitting there for a while, setting up, so I had enough time to reflect back all of these years that we worked on it. This needle goes in her arm. And she thinks back on all those years, all those struggles, mm -hmm. all those rejections, all the disbelief. And uh, yes, I, I became a little emotional. Usually I'm not emotional. I'm usually, you know, very cheery person, but <laughs> kind of uh, sometimes I get emotional, especially when I have seen uh, people line up the uh, healthcare workers, the physicians yeah. were lining up there. On the next room, they got their uh, injection. And when we entered to the hallway, uh, the chairman at the neurosurgery said that, you know, that uh, here are coming the, the inventors of this vaccine. And then some people started to clap. And, uh, and that made me like emotional and cried a little bit. Even now I'm saying to you, that's it the full podcast is worth a listen but it's a fairly emotional thing to have the vaccine that you worked on for 40 years injected inside of you and to save the world so i think it's a story worth telling again and again and i'm gonna attach a long read 
in the show notes from The Atlantic, which covers a little bit uh, more of the story. <laughs> 